Presented by the United States Sentencing Commission, this is Sentencing Practice Talk, a regular podcast for federal sentencing practitioners covering topics of interest. Here are your hosts, Krista Rubin and Rachel Pierce. Well, welcome back. This is the third installment in our three-part series on 5G 1.3. Again, I'm joined by Krista Rubin to discuss uh, one of our favorite guidelines, 5G 1.3. We have so many favorites, though. We do. We really do. It's true. So in this episode, we'll finish up um, with a discussion of the last two subsections, uh, C and D at 5G 1.3, as well as a little bit of a discussion about what the guidelines say about discharge terms of imprisonment, because mm-hmm. obviously 5G 1.3 is all about the undischarged term of imprisonment, or well, anticipate it, so we'll get there. <laughs> um, let's go ahead and talk about that, and that's at 5G 1.3C, right? That's right, and this is a recent addition to the guideline. Mm-hmm. Um, it was amended in November of 2014, mm-hmm. Amendment 787, for those of you interested, <laughs> that added this new subsection, subsection C, to address a Supreme Court decision, mm-hmm. um, Setzer versus the United States which dealt with um, a defendant who was being sentenced in federal court, but there was an anticipated state term of imprisonment. And so what the Supreme Court said in Setzer was that there is the authority in Title 18, Section 3584A of the U.S. Code that allows courts, federal courts, generally to have the discretion to choose whether the sentences they impose will run consecutively or concurrently with other sentences um, they impose or sentences that have been imposed in other proceedings, including state sentences. And so Setzer was basically uh, recognizing the court's authority and discretion to order a federal sentence to run consecutively or concurrently with anticipated sentences that are not yet imposed. Mm-hmm. So the Supreme Court was, you know, analyzing the authority of federal courts under that statute, 3584A, and said, yes, the court has the authority and the discretion to order sentences to run consecutively or concurrently with anticipated state terms. Mm-hmm. So after this decision, the commission added this new subsection into the guidelines and um The way that this section works is to say, if the defendant has a state term of imprisonment that he is anticipated to serve, and if that anticipated state term results from conduct that is relevant conduct, then the sentence for the federal offense shall run concurrently. So it looks a lot like B. I was just going to say, that sounds like B, That's not except for... The difference being obviously the undischarged term versus the anticipated term, but I think it reads pretty much exactly the same. It is. Except for the adjustment, obviously. Right. It's exactly the same. It's saying if you have an anticipated state term and the conduct underlying that term is relevant conduct, again, under A1, A2, or A3, Mm -hmm. not A4, you run it concurrently. There's no adjustment for the court to be made. Right. That's only under subsection B. I gotta say, I haven't, I haven't actually seen this yet. Have you? Have you gotten calls on this? I have got calls on I've it. I've gotten calls on how it, what it means. Yes. But I, I don't know that I've ever had a situation where someone said, "This is what I've got in my case." Well, I've had the situation where, like, 
a drug example mm -hmm. where they've pled guilty in state court to a particular drug offense mm -hmm. that's relevant conduct to the instant drug offense. Right. But the questions I usually get are, but since the state is going to be sentencing after right. the feds, do they really have to listen to what the federal, to how the federal judge thinks they should run? Like, right, right. And the answer to that is no. Right. I mean, so the judge will say, okay, I want it to run concurrently because of this subsection 5G1.3C, mm -hmm. but the state could drop it sure. entirely. Well, and I think that in my experience, that, that ends up happening quite often because a lot of times, you know, what they're being sentenced for in federal court is much more serious and it's going to carry a lot more time mm -hmm. than that state offense. And so they're like, all right, well, well, the feds have got them. We're just going to dismiss what we've got here at the state level. Right. Or they sentence them to time served right. or right. something yeah. that, you know, in effect, wouldn't let the sentences run concurrently, basically. Right. Exactly. Comes up from time to time, but yeah, not too often. I, yeah, not too often. I think that's that's probably fair. I mean, just because I personally haven't had a question about it on the helpline <laughs> doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. It's just that, in, in my experience, it's not something that I've seen that often. Um, all right, so in any event, let's, uh, I guess, finish up with the last section, which is D. Um, kind of a catch-all provision, if you will. Yes. So basically anything that doesn't fit in A, B, or C is going to fall under D. So what... Section D provides is that the instant offense can run concurrently, partially concurrently, or consecutively to the undischarged term of imprisonment. Um, so what, what types of situations might we find that would fall in to section D or subsection D? Well, you could have a defendant serving an undischarged term of imprisonment that's totally unrelated to the instant federal right? offense. Right, so that's not relevant conduct, it's totally unrelated. Right. Totally unrelated, um, and in that instance, you know, you'd, you'd fall into this provision because mm -hmm. it's not relevant conduct, so mm -hmm. B doesn't apply. You're serving, the, the, the defendant's serving the term of imprisonment, so it's not an anticipated right. term. Right. C doesn't apply, and A doesn't apply because he didn't commit it while he was serving time. Right. And so then the court looks to subsection D, where there's a lot of discretion for the judge. The mm -hmm. judge says, can run it concurrently, he can run it consecutively, or he can run it partially concurrently, he or she. Right, and so of course the application note, there is an application note that addresses some factors that the court can consider in determining how to impose that sentence. Uh, the statutory factors at 18 U.S.C. 3584, which of course we mentioned about when we talked about the Setzer case, mm -hmm. um, which I think are just sort of general uh, instruction on how the court has the authority or what authority the court has to impose sentence. Right. Uh, the type and length of the undischarged term of imprisonment, mm -hmm. the time served so far, and the time likely to be served on the undischarged term. Um, it could be a prior state undischarged term or a prior federal undischarged term that's imposed at a different time. Right. Um, or anything else that is relevant to the circumstance, I think. And so those are the factors that are highlighted factors, I guess, if you will, that the court can rely upon to help guide them in imposing what they think is an appropriate sentence. Absolutely. And you know, there are issues that arise with this subsection. Of course. Um, and again, I think this calls for specificity. Right. On the J and C, on the sentencing documents. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just to be sure that it's clear to the Bureau of Prisons that, 
you know, the judge's intent is for the sentence to run concurrently, for mm -hmm. example. Um, particular specificity is probably needed where the judge wants to run something partially concurrently. Right. Or if maybe there's multiple undischarged oh, yes. terms of imprisonment, I think that's going to require the specificity also. Yes, because, you know, you might have multiple undischarged terms of imprisonment mm -hmm. that the defendant might be serving in the state, for example, mm -hmm. and one of those might be relevant conduct, mm -hmm. but when there are multiple undischarged terms, the guideline directs us to apply subsection D. Right. Because there's a lot going on there. Right. Because B, I think, anticipates one single undischarged yes. term that is relevant conduct because that's sort of a neat, clean uh, situation. But if you've got more than one, like you say, where one is relevant conduct, one's not, um, that's when D is going to kick in. Absolutely. So that's that any other case. That's exactly right. And, you know, there's also uh, a situation where the undischarged term is the result of a revocation. Right. And... What our application notes advise is that the sentence for the instant offense should run consecutively right. to the term of revocation. Now, I will say that, you know, since the, the guidelines have been advisory, um, I think some courts have maybe taken some leeway with that. I think that's right. Um, but, uh, you know, if you want to adhere to strict guideline application, like you mentioned, the revocation, when you have a revocation as an undischarged term, then it's got to run consecutively. I, again, I think some courts have taken some leeway with that because of we're an advisory system, but just a reminder, you know, we're purists when it comes to guidelines. So, <laughs> Well, and you know, I want to also make clear for subsection D, there is no adjustment for the sentence. Right. That only happens in subsection B. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes I've heard of, you know, arguments being made that, well, um, one of the multiple undischarged terms of imprisonment is actually relevant conduct. Mm -hmm. Therefore, judge, I know we're under subsection D, but you should adjust the sentence. And I, that is not what should happen there. Right. And there is, uh, you know, the judge can vary, mm -hmm. for example, mm -hmm. but it's not the official adjustment that we talked about last episode. Right. Right. Okay, that's good to point out. Um, what Also, what if you have a discharged term of imprisonment that that had it been undischarged, it would fall under Section B? Is there any sort of relief in that type of situation for that defendant? Well, the, we do have uh, a departure provision okay. under 5K2.23 right. that allows for a downward departure in instances where 5G1.3B would have applied have the defendant still be... Serving that term, right? You know, it, it was so it's not built into five G one point three, but it is an option for relief, so to speak, via departure. That's exactly right. All right, that that's makes right. sense. That makes sense. That guideline covers a lot of ground. It really does. It really covers a lot of ground. Um, I think we've done a pretty good job of breaking it down, uh, talking about the different types of situations that come up, and you know, the issues that arise with the noting everything appropriately on the J&C and again things that come up with with the BOP. Um, as always if anybody has any questions you can always call us on our helpline. Uh, that number is 202-502-4545. Always have to make that available to folks. Um, and I think that pretty much covers it. I don't know if you have any parting words. 
Be specific. Yes. <laughs> Be specific. And it is not possible to over document. That's right. All right. Sounds great. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Mm -hmm. This wraps up our episode of Sentencing Practice Talk, today brought to you by the United States Sentencing Commission. Thanks so much for listening, and be sure to check back often for new topics. Sentencing Practice Talk, a regular podcast on federal sentencing issues. Please be advised that information provided by the Commission staff is offered to assist in understanding and applying the sentencing guidelines. The information does not necessarily represent the official position of the Commission, should not be considered definitive, and is not binding upon the Commission, the Court, or the parties in any case. Thank you.